So if you will turn your Bibles with me to the book of Jude, Jude chapter 1. Um, we are in the midst of a series, actually we're in, the, we're in the stretch run of a series we started several weeks ago called In Defense of the Faith. It is based on a letter by the Apostle Jude to a, a group of believers where he's encouraging them in how they are to respond to the presence and the influence of false teaching among them. And so these last several weeks we've been looking at what it means to essentially stand up to false teaching, not in our own strength or wisdom, but in the wisdom and strength that God gives us, utilizing the tools that he makes available to us. And as we continue today, we're going to pivot. We started this two weeks ago. We're going to pivot to a second, uh, the, the other side I would consider of two coins when it comes to our response to false teaching. So, of course, in the first, in the first several verses, I think up to verse 16, really, the apostles' instruction to the believers is um, what they are to do in response to um, fortifying themselves, preparing themselves, guarding their own hearts against giving in to false teaching. And then from verse 17 on to the rest of that chapter, um, he's addressing how we are to assist each other um, in standing up to false teaching. I want to open up in prayer if you allow me to. Um, ask God's blessing over the word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and for the opportunity that we have to come together in your name, knowing that you are here among us, Lord. We thank you. Uh, the word invites us, Lord, to not forsake assembling together, Father. Uh, it is an opportunity for us to encourage each other, Lord, all the more as we see the day of your return approaching. God, thank you, though, Lord, when we come together in your house, Lord, it is so that we might encounter you through worship. We might be engaged by your Holy Spirit through the ministry of the Word, and we might be equipped, Lord, to go out from this place and to be salt and light in the world to which you've called us to reach. And so, God, I pray that you minister to us today. Thank you for the Word you've laid in my heart. Give me the ability, Lord, today to express, Lord, your Word in clarity, Father, and may we all be edified and built up and encouraged, Father, as a result of our time here together in your Word. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said Amen. So I want to start by sharing a quick story. Back in 1997, one of the highest grossing movies um, hit the silver screen uh, named Titanic. How many of you have seen that movie, Titanic? How many of you will admit you've seen it a hundred times? Raise your hand. Anybody? Oh, yeah, some honest people in the house. Very nice, very nice. Um, so Titanic came out in 1997. Of course, it was one of the highest grossing movies. It's still probably making a lot of money now. Um, it's a well-known movie, no matter your age group. Um, it starred the likes of Leonardo DiCaprio, I think is how you pronounce his name, and of course, Kate Winslet. Um, and it was basically a fictitious spin on an all-too-real tragedy that took place um, on April the 15th, 1912, um, for a group of passengers and crew members on the, on the RMS Titanic who were making their maiden voyage from Southampton, United Kingdom, to the United States. And, and uh, you know, in, in the midst of all of the, the tragic stories that, that surround this, this specific event, um, one overlooked story that came out of this tragedy involved a Baptist pastor and preacher named John Harper. Pastor Harper was known in the UK as an engaging preacher. He pastored two churches, one in Glasgow, the other in London, and received an invitation to come and to speak at the Moody Church in Chicago. Um, not only was he invited to speak at Moody, but he was also invited to come and to candidate to become the senior pastor of that church. And at the time that he made this trip with his daughter, he had lost his wife. She had since passed. 
Um, and so it was he and his six-year-old daughter that were traveling together. And they were amongst a crowd of about 2,200 passengers and crews who sailed away on that ill-fated voyage. When the Titanic hit the iceberg, it was said that Harper successfully led his daughter to a lifeboat. And being a widower, he, he would have been allowed to join her on the lifeboat. But to everyone's surprise, Pastor Harper gave up his spot on the boat. And he chose instead to provide the crowd with one more chance to know Christ. As it was said that he would run from person to person, passionately telling them about Jesus. And as the water began to submerge that, what was considered an unsinkable ship... Harper was heard shouting, women, children, and the unsaved into the lifeboats. Women, children, and the unsaved into the lifeboats. Rebuffed by a certain man at the offer of salvation, Harper gave this man his own life vest, saying, you need this more than I do. And up until the last moment on the ship, Harper was pleading with people to give their lives to Christ. When the ship disappeared between the deep frigid waters, leaving hundreds of people floundering in its wake with no realistic chance of rescue, and with Pastor Harper himself struggling with hypothermia as he was trying to swim to as many people as he could, even then he was still sharing the gospel until he would ultimately lose his battle with hypothermia and sink into the bottom of the, of the, of the, of the sea. Why would someone like Pastor Harper give up a guaranteed spot on a lifeboat just so he could tell somebody else about Christ? Why? One word that comes to mind when I read this story, and that word is burden. Everybody say burden. Burden is the reason why a man would give up an opportunity to save his life so that he can help others who were facing a perilous, perilous future. Burden is the feeling of being weighed down by what we know or what we've observed about something or about someone and in the case of Pastor Harper, and really what should be our, our mentality when it comes to how we engage those who are not in Christ, there must be a sense of uneasiness that we ought to feel, friends, about anyone who does not know Jesus. It doesn't matter how much money they have. It doesn't matter how well off they look or how, is, how much they've accomplished in this life. If a person does not know Christ, friends, there's only one destination. The Bible is clear, clearly stated for us is is the direction that they're going. And the knowledge of the direction that anyone that does not know Christ is going, that awareness should cause us to be moved, to say, God, I have to do whatever I can do to ensure that nobody, at least nobody that I know, misses out on eternal life with you. Burden is something that God has called every one of us to have. Last week, we were focused on missions. Last week was our mission Sunday, if you were not here with us. And one of the things we talked about is the importance of taking on the responsibility of, of sharing the gospel, that the, the responsibility of advancing the gospel is not the responsibility God has reserved for only a few. Every believer has been called to help advance the gospel, and we have different ways that we are called to do so. We've been studying Jude's letter to the early church in which he addresses their response to the presence of false teaching. And as I mentioned two dual purposes for his instruction. One, we guard our own hearts against the presence and the influence of false teaching. But number two, we are called to help each other to stand up to the pressures of false teaching. It's not enough for you to say, well, it's your life and it's your responsibility and I don't have to be concerned about your spiritual walk. No, we are called to be concerned about each other's spiritual walk. 
And in more so, we're also called to be concerned about the walk of those who are not in Christ. So two weeks ago, we started to look at Jude's explanation of how we are to help others. We looked at um, three spiritual conditions that he describes in the verses that, that we covered. Um, and, and of course, you know, like I said, two weeks ago, we, we addressed the issue of how we respond to those who Jude describes as are in a place where, you know, because they're dealing with false teaching, because they're dealing with all kinds of messages that conflict with the truth they heard when they first came to believe in Christ, that now they find themselves questioning their faith. And so Jude provides in verse 22 a, a, a response to how we're to address those who are struggling in their faith. Next week, we're going to deal with how Jude says we are to address those who are enslaved by sinful choices. But what I want to do today is focus on Jude's response to how to those who are alienated from Christ. And in verse 23 of Jude chapter 1, if you turn your Bibles with me to there, it's a very simple phrase he gives, but it's a phrase that's packed with power. He says in verse 23, we are to save others by snatching them from the fire. We save others by snatching them from the fire. I want to focus on three words from that verse. The first word I want to focus on is the word save. In the original Greek from this, from which our scriptures is, are translated from, that word save is called sozo. And it means to rescue, to free, or to deliver from harm or evil. In the New Testament, it is commonly used to describe deliverance from physical death and from sin. It accounts for the seriousness or the peril of a situation. All right? So when we are called to save... The goal is that we are saving from something that will cause harm. It's not an option. When a person is in danger, we don't, we don't say, well, I don't have to. I don't have to save. My no, it is not an option. When a person is in a perilous, dangerous situation, we have a responsibility to save them. There is a reason why in our culture today, if you are involved in an accident where even if you're not responsible, there is an expectation that you will stop and what? Render aid. You don't just drive on by, well, it's not my business. No, you, you are, you, there, there must be a burden that you sense for the welfare and well-being of another that will compel you to act on their behalf. The other word I want to focus on is the word fire, which in the original Greek is called pierre, and it's a reference to judgment or to punishment. And in the New Testament, typically is used to denote hell fire. So we are called to save from fire. But there is, a, there is a type of way that we approach this responsibility that we're called to, to save, and it's found in that word snatch, which in the original Greek language is called harpazo, which means to seize, grasp hastily and eagerly in order to take away. So you save a person because they're in a perilous situation, you remove them from that environment of peril and you bring them to a safe place. That's what we're called to do in response to those who are struggling in their faith, those who are, who, are, who are alienated from Christ. It suggests action that we take with a sense of urgency. When you put these three words together and you look at the context of what Jude has been saying from verse 1 to this point, what we discover is this, that God is calling every one of us to work with a sense of urgency to rescue sinners from the judgment of sin. Why? Because judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And the Bible says that it is not God's will that any perish, but that all come to the saving knowledge of Christ. God has already established that judgment will come to deal with sin. It will not change. 
But God has made provision so that we don't have to get caught up in the judgment that is coming because of sin. And that provision he made through his son, Jesus Christ. And having experienced the power of this gospel to change our lives, knowing that, that if death was to come at this very moment, we know where we are going. Why? Because we put our faith and confidence in the finished work of Christ on the cross. We have an obligation to make sure that others who, because of sin, are on the same trajectory as we once were, are given an opportunity to embrace Christ so that they too might escape judgment as well. And we can't expect that God would just come down. He, he, when he sent Jesus on the earth on, to, to, to come, Jesus came, he gave his life on the cross, he went back to heaven. But then he left us to continue the work he started. Every one of us is called to work with a sense of urgency to rescue sinners from the judgment of sin. And so the question that I want to answer this morning very quickly is this. How do we then develop a burden for the lost? How do we develop a burden for the lost so that we are moved to do something, to respond, to act in the best interest of those who are lost. The first one we discover is this, that if we are to develop a burden for the lost, number one, we need to first ourselves confess and repent from the sin of self-centeredness. Because it is always a tendency, a human tendency for us to focus on ourselves first. God is not suggesting that we are to exclude or ignore ourselves or consideration or care for ourselves. But what he's saying is, do not do so at the expense of the responsibility I've given you to care for others around you. We are not simply meant to just cast our interests aside. But the Bible scripture makes it clear to us that we are to, that we are to be concerned about the interests of others. So when you look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 through verse 8, I want, us, I want you to see how Paul now, now frames for us this, this issue of self-centeredness and how we are to respond. And what he does is he presents Christ as the example of how we are to overcome self-centeredness. He says in verse 4, he says, We are to not look to our own interests, but each of you, he says, we are to look to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. As who? As who? Paul says that in looking to the interests of others, we are to have the same mindset, the same attitude, the same approach as we see modeled by Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We are talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who was willing to, to cast aside everything that he was deserving of in order that he might, he might cater to the interests of others. And if he could do it, why not we? You and I are called to... To, to not simply focus inward. We talked about this last week, the tendency for us to, to focus inward and to, and to do so at the expense of focusing outward. And, and God is not saying that it's either we be inward or we be outward. He wants us to be both. And he wants us to learn how to balance both where we are taking care of the vessel that he would use so that he might be able to use the vessel as he desires to use us. We cannot offer to others what we first ourselves don't have, but we must never make it simply about what I gain. Because the reality is, is that what we gain is meant to be for equipping us to then be used by God to accomplish His work in somebody else's life. You came to faith in Christ because, because God poured into somebody's life and then they poured into you. 
Every one of us came to faith in Christ because God poured into somebody's life and they poured into you and I. And why must we, why, why must we allow that to, to, to cease to continue? We must allow that to continue. Because what God has put in us is something that is worth sharing. If we're to develop a burden for the lost, we need to confess and repent from sin, from the sin, excuse me, of, of self-centeredness. Number two, we need to also seek deeper intimacy with Christ as a catalyst for greater effectiveness. Again, Jesus uses himself as an example of, of the importance of, of abiding, um, of being connected, of being rooted, of being joined to him. So that because we are joined to him, then we're able to operate in the same power that he operated in. And we're able to have the effect that he desires for us to have. In John 15, verse 4 through 5, Jesus was telling his disciples that they were to remain in him. What you're going to notice in these two verses we're about to read is that he uses that word remain over and over and over again. I've heard it said that when a word is used once, that it's, it's, it's not necessarily that it's not important, but it's meant to call your attention to something. But then when it's used repeatedly. <laughs> repeatedly, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. When it's used repeatedly, it's meant to draw your attention and it's saying, listen, this is important enough for you to focus on. That's why I'm repeating it. Jesus said in verse 4, remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless, everybody say unless. unless. There is only one condition Jesus says. That you and I are able to bear fruit, and that is if we remain in him. So in other words, what he is saying is that if we do not remain in him, we will not produce fruit. It's that simple. We will not be effective. We will not be impactful if we're not remaining in Christ. He goes on to say, why? Because I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you desire to do great, mighty things for God? Do you desire to have an impact for God in your maximum impact environment, in your school, at your job, in your neighborhood, in your community? Do you desire to have an impact for God, friends? If you want to, then you must seek deeper intimacy with Christ, for it is in that relationship that we find the catalyst that we need to be effective. Notice that Christ, throughout Christ's ministry, he never neglected time with the Father. The scripture tells us over and over and over again that Christ always sought time with the Father. Because it was, in, it was in that time of intimacy with the Father that he found power, he drew power, he drew strength to do what he was called to do. And it's no different for you and I. If we are to develop a burden for the lost friends, then you and I must make sure that we are going deeper in our relationship with Christ. Why? Because you cannot offer to others what you don't have. And people can tell when something is simply, uh, when, when, when a passion is simply platonic or it's due, based on duty or a sense of obligation versus when it is about a genuine love and, and, and desire and enthusiasm for, for God. People can tell the difference. So yeah, you can talk Christianese all you want, but here's the thing. People can tell if you're not really living for God, if you're not really, really passionate about the things of God. And it's not about trying to figure out, well, how am I supposed to sound or what am I supposed to say or how am I... No, it's about making sure that you are developing deeper intimacy with God because out of that intimacy comes the power that you and I need to be effective. Number three, we develop a burden for the lost by asking the Holy Spirit to give us insight to see others the way Christ does. I love the words of the Lord in John 16, 13, describing the role of the Holy Spirit when he would come after Christ said he would go back to the Father. Um, and, and what it does for me is it, it emphasizes just how um, 
valuable the Holy Spirit's role is in my life and in my ability to be a witness for Christ. I cannot do this by myself. We need the Holy Spirit's help. I remember many years ago, I don't remember, I, I think I may have shared this story in years past, but I remember when I was, you know, working at the Fondren campus when I was a youth pastor. There was a particular day I was driving from Fondren, I can't remember if I was driving home, if I was driving to get lunch, and as I was driving along Fondren, I remember seeing a gentleman, and of course, at that time, we had been dealing with a lot of um, gang-related issues, gang-related violence in that part of town. Um, you know, some, 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 there were some situations, there were some occasions where I remember vividly a young man got shot in broad daylight at a, parking, at a, at a bus stop simply because he was wearing a different, uh, a different uh, color attire and apparently he was in another gang's territory and, and it, it, was, it, was a, it was a very tense time. And, and I remember driving down Fond and I, as, I, as I was driving, I see this you know, gentleman, you know, he's walking down and, uh, and, and of course, you know, he, he looks like he's, he's part of a gang just based on his appearance. And I remember in that moment, I, I thought when I saw him, I started having all of these just angry thoughts toward him. And you just, I just very, just very angry thoughts, just, you know, just already, you know, questioning what kind of life he's living and the, the decisions he's making and the choices he's, he's taking every single day. And, and it just, just I, I, my, my feeling toward him was not positive. But I will tell you this, as soon as I drove past, I felt the Holy Spirit convict me and say, who are you? Who are you to, 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 to look at him and to, and, to, and to judge him as if you are better? And I had to repent because the reality is, is you know, I've, I've heard this phrase and I've never, I've never heard, let go of it from the first time I heard it. But for the grace of God, there go I. That could very easily be me. But for the grace of God in my life, it's not because I'm better, it's not because I'm smarter, it's not because I, 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 I'm, I'm, more, I'm, I'm more talented than he is. It is the grace of God that keeps us. And I, I had to repent and say, God, help me. Help me to, 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 when I see people, to not see them based on the appearance, to not see them based on what I think is going on in their lives, but help me to see them as you see them. And friends, we cannot do that without, without the Holy Spirit. Because human nature is to judge by appearance. We question, we, we, we rationalize by what we simply see. But the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the ability that when we see a person, no matter what they may look like on the outside, no matter what kind of choices or decisions they make, that the Holy Spirit can give us insight into this person's life and give us a sense of what their need is so that we can be able to step up and allow God to use us to meet that need in their life. John 16, 13, Jesus said, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. That's the, all the truth. So it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter where, what aspect of life or what scenario truth needs to be brought to the fore. It is the Holy Spirit's responsibility to guide us into it. That's what Jesus says. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So in this, in this call to, to be burdened for the lost, one of the things we need to be asking for is God, help me to see people the way you see them. Whether I'm in school or whether I'm at work or it doesn't matter where I'm at, but every time I come across people, help me to see what you see in them and help me to be drawn by your spirit to whatever need may be going on in their, that person's life and help me to be willing to be a vessel that you would use to meet that need. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that it means that you're going to be able to address every single issue in their life. But what we're called to, friends, is to introduce them to the one who can change their life. And how can we do so if, if we're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading so that we can be responsive to how he wants us to respond to that person? We need to ask him to give us insight.
so that we can see as he sees. And then here's the last point. We need to pray by name for everyone that you know is not a follower of Christ. As I was preparing this message, when this point was laid on my mind, on my heart, I thought, it sounds very simplistic, pray, pray by name. That should be a given, right? And I almost didn't want to include it, and I felt like the Lord's person, no, you need this, this, this is important. Why? Because name is part of who we are known by, right? And, and when, we, when we learn to pray for individuals by name, what we're doing is we're, praying, we're able to pray specific to that need that we've observed or that we may, we may be aware of in their lives. First, John, first Timothy, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 1 says, I urge them, first of all, the petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For what kind of people? All. It doesn't say for a certain class of people. It doesn't say for a certain category of people. It doesn't say for a people who are going through a certain... He says for all people. So it means it doesn't matter who the person is. It doesn't matter what their story is. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter where they're going. We are to pray for all people. Why? Because God cares about all people. And part of having a burden for the lost means that that we are willing to acquaint ourselves with individuals just as God acquaints himself with each and every single one of us. Are you not grateful this morning that God doesn't just see you as, as, uh, as just one in a, in a, in a, in a, a, among a, a, a billion, in billions and billions of specs, but that he knows you intimately, he knows you personally, he knows everything that concerns you, he knows the, the issues of your life that, that are unknown to everybody else. He's not, he's not trying to figure it out. He's not, he doesn't go on Google to figure out, well, what's going on in John's life? No, he knows us intimately. And just as our Heavenly Father knows us intimately, he wants us to also be intimately, intimately connected with those around us. How many opportunities have we had where, where God, is, God allows people to intervene or or step into a person's life and to minister to them, and we've passed that opportunity up, maybe because we're afraid of, of, what, of, of where the conversation may go, or, or, or if we're even going to be impactful at all, or, or for whatever other reason. And yet God is saying, I want you to see people, not just as, as a mass, but see them for who they are. See them as individuals that I love, that I care about, that I sent my son to die on the cross for. Here's the reality. If you and I were the only person that, that needed to be saved, Jesus would still have come. That's how the individual matters to God. And just as the individual matters to God, the individual must matter to us. Scripture says in verse 2, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, for kings were to pray for all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Why? Because this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people. There's that word all again. He wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. So Jude says we are to save others from the fire by what? Snatching them. It means that, that we, are to, we are to engage ourselves, we are to invest ourselves, we are to make every effort with a sense of urgency, knowing that if this person dies without Christ, that there is no, there is no longer forgiveness. And that we say, God, help me to do everything that I can in this season and with the opportunity that you lay before me to make a difference in this person's life. And I truly believe, friends, that when we allow God to use us and we, we move with passion and com commitment, to be investors that he might use to reach somebody that God will work through us. Again, that's how you came to faith in Christ. 
Because God used someone. And just as he used someone to speak into your life, God wants to use you to speak into somebody else's life. You and I are surrounded by people who are alienated from Christ. Every one of us is surrounded by people who are alienated from Christ. Do we have a burden for them? You may not know them, you may not know their story, but at least are we willing to start off by praying for them? By saying, God, meet this person in the place and point of need, and God, however you would use me to help them come to know Christ, God, help me. And we trust God with the results. God is, God is looking for willing vessels that he would use. And I challenge you this morning, let's make ourselves available to him. This is part of how we defend our faith. Where we are not just focused on what we get or what we experience, but we're saying, God, what you've allowed me to experience through the power of the gospel, I want somebody else to experience as well. God, help me to be a catalyst for making that happen in somebody else's life. And we see God do incredible things through us. Why? Because we are willing to be used by him. So as you start your week this week, consider opportunities that God may set before you, people he may bring in your path. Ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to, to, to be a blessing to this person? How do you want me to encourage this person? How do you want me to speak into their life this week? And trust God with the results. Don't, don't be focused on, on, on being able to walk away from every encounter with, 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 with a, a change or a transformation, but, but be willing to at the very least plant seed. And then trust God with the results. That's what it means to be in defense of our faith. And I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Christ, understand today that God's desire is for you to know Him. He sent Jesus Christ down on the cross for you. Why? Because He loves you. And He wants you to experience that love. But not only does God want you to experience that love and to grow in that love, but God now wants to also use your life to also share that love with others. What a privilege that we have, that we can be able to work with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and accomplishing His work in our world today. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the opportunity God gives me to do that, and I, I hope you are too. But let us commit today, friends, that we're going to be, develop a burden for the lost, and we're going to allow God to use us to reach those who are not in Christ. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today, God, and reminding us once again that, that, that Lord, you have called us You've not only called us into Christ, Lord, you've called us into your kingdom. We are part of your family, Father, but you've called us, Lord, to go. You've called us to go and to, to advance the gospel everywhere, Father God, that there is a soul that needs to hear the gospel. And what motivates, Lord, our, our commitment, Lord, to advance this gospel is because we've experienced its power. It has changed our lives. And God, we're grateful for the privilege and the opportunity that you give us, Lord, to be able to be vessels that you would use to bring this great gospel to those who need to hear it. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters today, Lord, that throughout the course of this week, Father, every single day, God, no matter where we are, who we're with, or what we're doing, God, help us, Lord, to be mindful that there are always people around us who, Father, in that moment, Father, God, are headed to hell. Not because you sent them to hell, but God, because the word tells us that the consequence of our sin, the wages of our sin is death, separation from you. But God, it is not your will that any perish, Father. Give us, Lord, a burden, Father, for the lost as you are burdened for the lost. 
Help us, Lord, be willing to be used by you, God, to bring the truth, this life-changing truth to someone that needs to hear that God loves them and that God made provision, Father, by, by sending his son to die on the cross for their sins so that they too can know him and, be, and experience his love in a real and a powerful way. God, help us, Lord, to look beyond ourselves. Help us be willing to, to look outside of our own selves, our comfort, our convenience, and to say, God, no matter how uncomfortable it might seem, Father, God, use me. Give us a burden today, God. And if there's anyone that is here that does not have a relationship with Christ, Father, thank you that you brought them to this place of decision, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're ministering to them. You've been ministering to them, Father, and that they are at a place where they're ready to say, yes, I want to follow Christ. I want to live for Christ. I want to be all that Christ has called me to be. And that God, in this moment, Lord, as they call on you, or you in faith, Father, that God, you meet them in the place upon a need. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, I just want to simply ask this morning, if you're here, you would say, Pastor John, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but I want a relationship with Christ. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the life that only he can give. I want a relationship with God today. I don't want to be alienated from God. I don't want to be separated from God because of my sin. I don't want to be a slave to sin. But I want to be a child of God. And I believe that I can only be that today when I put my faith and trust in Christ for salvation. And I want to do that right now. The Bible says that if we confess with our hearts, with our mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. That's all it takes. It's recognizing today that there's nothing you can do to be right with God, that Jesus did it all on the cross, and that your only response is to simply accept that he did it on your behalf and trust that what he did was sufficient. If you want to walk with God today, you can accept the truth that the Bible teaches about sin, Confess that sin before God. Seek forgiveness by placing your faith and trust in Jesus today and live free through the power of the Holy Spirit as a child of God. I want to invite everyone to pray this prayer with me, but especially those who are committing their lives to Christ, whether it be for the first time or as a recommitment of your life. We begin here by praying, asking God to meet us in that place and point of need and believing that God will do so. Recognizing that this is the beginning of a new life in Christ, a new walk with Christ, a new future with Christ. So would everyone please pray with me this morning. Lord Jesus, I come to you right now because I'm in need of your forgiveness and mercy. I believe that you died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And I admit today that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I ask you to be my savior today. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to live in me. And I thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.